The thing about the work for me is that it's it isn't a fish trap. It's a threshold. It's a gateway. It's a portal. So the idea of entering, you're entering as not in terms of body, but in terms of your imagination. And then you're never going to be able to exit the same way again. You know, the change isn't necessarily a physical thing. It's more a kind of psychic or imaginative thing. Hello and welcome to Biennial Bites, everyone, the official podcast of Sharjah Biennial 15. My name is Horal Kasemi. I'm the director of Sharjah Art Foundation and curator of Sharjah Biennial 15, thinking historically in the present. In this podcast, I'm going to be asking artists about their practice, their process, and how their project speaks to our current moment. Over the next half an hour, we're going to be finding out what makes their work important and why it's relevant to us. Today, we have with us New York-based artist, Nari Ward. Hi, and welcome to Biennial Bites, Nari. It's great to have you with us. Good to be here, Or Thank you. Just to introduce Nari to our listeners, Nari Ward's work uses found objects to confront the contemporary politics of community. He transforms discarded material from his neighborhood into installations embedded with the memories and experiences of race and migration. Can objects from the past make us see the present in a new light? How does art reframe things that carry histories of oppression? Do artworks have the ability to speak to power? These are some of the questions Nari's work compels us to ask. Let's hear more from the artist himself. I remember meeting you for the first time uh, when you visited us in Sharjah for the biennial in 2005. Yep, it's a long uh, time ago. It was a long time <laughs> ago. Um, and I was really struck by the scale of your work and the process and how uh, the work came together. Um, but I have to say um, an extraordinary exhibition of yours that really um, I found moved me was your solo show at the new museum where I saw uh, many projects of yours come together in a, in a large space and speak to your process and uh, practice. So that was uh, a really inspirational exhibition, I have to say. Thank you. Yeah, that was the, uh, the We the People exhibition. I don't want to call it a survey show. It, you know, it's like uh, a mid-career retrospective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of We the People, we also acquired We the People, the Arabic version for the Sharjah Art Foundation collection. That's uh, right. And that work is on view now at Deichterhallen in Hamburg in a group exhibition from Sharjah Art Foundation's collection. It's uh, a very stunning piece. The back narrative to that, if I may, is uh, what led me to want to create that work is um, I was the We the People, which is the preamble to the American Constitution, was really done, that preamble was done in italic, right? And so it's sort of a calligraphic um, font. And I really enjoyed the way, on not just a formal level, I really enjoyed the way that um, the shoelaces, because it's made from shoelaces, how the legibility of it and how it held space uh, with that particular kind of font so I really wanted to try it with an Arabic text. And I said, well, well, let me just use, you know, the same we the people in Arabic um, and see what that would feel like and, and how it would hold the wall and hold this relationship to the body. So that was kind of how it ev evolved. Yeah, and I think it also has such an important um, 
message. And I think uh, people here really uh, found it. it. It brings together a lot of narratives that face us in this part of the world, you know, the politics surrounding us. So uh, every time we have exhibited the work, the, uh, the response has been uh, really powerful, I have to say. It's a strange work. It's a strange and, and problematic translation, though. Yeah. Um, because the We the People, the American version, the preamble constitution, is hypocritical as it is, because it was made when a good amount of the people, African-Americans and women, weren't really part of the We. So I was intrigued by that. And the funny part of the, the translation into the Arabic version is it, it doesn't translate the same way. It's something like, we are the people. We are the people, yeah. For an artist, for, I was excited, like, wow, this is really, sort of kind of talks about a different cultural shift and intonation. I thought that was important, you know? And then I think the other thing is, is just the kind of through line through my practice, I think one of the, the privileges of being an artist is reserving judgment and just trying to think about what, how these interpretations manifest in the culture and how to break that down and how to have a conversation about that. So I really feel like it was a, a part of the conversation that never will be normally discussed, which is for me intriguing. So you were also part of Sharjah Biennial 2005, as we mentioned, and we're thrilled to have you back in Sharjah many years later. As you said, it's a different place but still the same. Um, <laughs> and there's always uh, something quite lovely about having long-standing relationships with artists and history together. So um, Sharjah Biennial 15 is also about looking back at the past and rethinking the times that we're living through. Your work is uh, rooted in place. Can you tell us a bit about how you developed a relationship to your surroundings growing up in Jamaica and in the US? Do you recall how you first began to collect things? I was quite young when I left Jamaica. I go back a lot now just because my family's there and it's important uh, connection I wanted to maintain. I, then I moved directly to New Jersey, part of New York, sort of the East Coast of America. And then for university, I decided to go to New York um, initially to study illustration. So for a good amount of time, I realized I had some creative facility and I could actually draw. As a matter of fact, my major in grad school was drawing. So it wasn't until I moved to Harlem that I decided I really wanted to tell stories that were about the neighborhood and, and collecting things from the neighborhood made sense for that, that pursuit. So a lot of the found objects were really about generating narratives that came to me when I saw them. It's entirely about storytelling. Maybe all artists are storytellers. Uh, so I think that's, that's kind of where it led me to Wanting to collect things, but also wanting to have my audience um, understand that they're a part of it first. So it's that recognizable element, that fun thing that everybody knows. And then the challenge as an artist was how to layer it, how to complicate it, and how to add meaning to it so that it could bring them on a different kind of journey. Yeah, it makes me think of the, the prams that you have. That was one of my, that's a great piece to bring up because that was one of my largest installation. The idea I had for that was, I remember having, finding one of them and thinking this is something, something that was missing, something that needed to be told about this emptiness of this abandoned stroller. And I figured if, if people can't see one, see it in one, maybe I just need to collect more and more of them. Uh, and I, it became an obsession. So for about four months, um, that piece Amazing Grace evolved, which is 
I collected three, about 360, I set a limit. There was going to be 365 baby shoulders for every day of the year. And then I didn't know what I was going to do with them. Then I had to find a form for them to be experienced. And that was the idea is to sort of wanted an environment where the viewer was enveloped and they had to almost become a kind of participant in the experience. It was quite confronting. It was confronting. And that was the reason why, and sad in moments. And so at a certain point when I was developing the work, I realized that I needed to lighten it up and I needed to bring bring some other level of expectation. So that's how the title, actually the sound component was the last part of that project. And Amazing Grace was a, a gospel standard that I listened to. Actually, the Mahalia Jackson uh, rendition of it, the gospel artist that my father used to always play in the house. And I remember how it made me feel. It made me feel kind of... Um, it sort of lifted my spirits because it was a song about redemption, a song about uh, transformation. And I felt like that was exactly what this work needed to bring the expectation of these empty strollers to another kind of, um, another kind of uh, spiritual space. Uh, the objects, as you mentioned, um, that you gather are often heavy with so many different meanings connected to experiences of racial injustice and diasporic memory. Uh, how has your work evolved over the years, especially in the context of the recent movements such as Black Lives Matter? I think they always started, the, the work always started with my own trepidation and anxiety. It's something that I'm thinking about. It's something I'm worrying about. It's something I'm trying to figure out how to feel a sense of agency over because it's a sense of um, maybe lack of control that I, I feel towards the situation. So the work is a way to filter that to into an object that can um, dictate, coordinate, and bring communion to to myself and for the viewer. So I, I kind of feel like the work that I've done in reference to the, the Black Lives Matter protests, for instance, I did a piece that I would never have done even three years ago, which was an American flag covered with um, security tags, right? Like when, when you go to these stores, there's these security tags to make sure you don't steal the material. So I wanted to do a flag that was totally inundated with it, where the flag actually gets almost negated. And so that piece is directly connected to talking about this obliteration of the American credo, which is the American credo for me is, is this idea that everybody has a chance, the opportunity to come and be as a, as a citizen, as a new citizen or from immigrant to being a citizen and become part of the, the society. And I, and with the administration that was in power, former administration, that was being negated. And so this kind of overly secured symbol and the negation of it talked about what I thought was uh, happening with um, that sort of uh, what what America was strong with, which is this idea of the American dream of anybody can can be part of it. As we said, this isn't your first time showing it at Sharjah Biennial. When you were here in 2005, you made a work called Sharjah Birdhouse using car mufflers and plastic bags. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, that was um, the actual framework for that piece came out of another project I did at United Nations called the Ariana Birdhouse. And Ariana got the, the name comes from the garden around the United Nations, which is called the Ariana Garden. And it was actually a subtle critique of the United Nations because it was a, a kind of a toppled birdhouse um, 
which looks like a, a hole with a, a, a rather a house with a little hole where the bird would enter. And I, I mean, I, I chose the house, the birdhouse as a, as a starting point because it was Geneva. And that's kind of like birdhouses are endemic to that, um, to the culture there. So it was talking about this idea of this tumbled birdhouse. And then there were about four or five vertical elements with white birdhouses, sort of, sort of talking about relief. But those white birdhouses didn't really have holes. They had painted black circles. So it was this kind of fictional relief. And it was, it was a reaction to a lot of the artists that were participating in the project. They felt like there's a subtle, maybe, you know, shutting down of some of their, the projects they were doing based on the fact that it, if anything was critical of the United Nations, um, they would say there wasn't any funds. So a little bit of that was going on. So I, I wanted to find a way to bring a level of criticality, but still, you know, create this fiction of, of uh, relief. Majority of the budget, in fact, that goes to the United Nations goes to their administering the programs that they do. And very a smaller percentage goes out into um, the different countries that they're supposed to, to really be helping. So it was, it was a kind of talking about that component. So when I brought it back into Sharza, I really wanted to, to reconfigure it. So it wasn't falling down. It was just a, a birdhouse, but the, the dialogue was, in this case, was with the plastic bags. And the plastic bags was um, coming from the local stores. It was all the shopping bags that they you get from the local stores. And it was a, really a, a conversation about commercialism and maybe even capitalism. I remember somebody saying that if you want to change a country, don't invade them. Just bring the big box stores and people are going to want to... Um, you know, want to participate in, <laughs> in, in, the, in that uh, availability of, um, of the marketplace. So I, I, I kind of felt like it was about, it was about that question of can, can this, um, can this, these symbols of uh, imperialism or will they affect the, the, the local culture? Welcome back, everyone. We're speaking with installation artist Nari Ward about his project for the 15th Sharjah Biennial. And a little bit about uh, Nari's upcoming SB15 work for our listeners. For Sharjah Biennial 15, Nari is installing a site-specific work that looks at his 2012 artwork, New Colossus. It's a very large-scale project modeled on fish traps, referencing villages in Jamaica that use scrap for construction. And now that you're working on this installation, can you tell us what you're hoping for for the biennial? It's a kind of a strange um, sort of the the title of the piece back in the day, 2011-2012. It was presented at Mass Mocha. So let me back that up because it wasn't a fish trap because the idea is it was a form that the fish form that was made out of reed that the fish, because of the shape of its body, could enter, but also, and then become, you know, be in this bucket or vessel. And then because of the shape of its body, it couldn't uh, exit. And I was really fascinated with this idea that you could go in, but you can never come back out, right? And so it was more playing with this idea of memory, right? You go in any recollection, you have an experience, but it's never going to be, in recalling it, it's never going to be the same thing. 
So I was really uh, thinking about the notion of memory as this intangible space to ever recapture. And so the the, the new Colossus was talking about memory, is talking about immigration, because it, my, my experience is being an immigrant. Um, and there were that that was kind of why it was um, brought into the space of fishing and brought, there was a boat component to that piece as well. And just as a side note, not that the, the title actually may change of the piece that I'm presenting here for SB15, because there's so many newer elements that are brought in that I feel like it's evolving into to something else. Yeah, it's been really fascinating what you developed, the, the project in Kelba. Um, and, uh, looking at the site and all the local materials and watching the work um, change shape, but also take place in, uh, with a lot of your um, conversations with the team on site. Yeah, conversation with the team and conversations with limits, you know. <laughs> so the piece has been in storage a good 10 years? No, is it 10 years? I have to think. Yes, yes. Maybe, yeah, over 10 years. And so um, I'm, it's like revisiting an old friend, but I, you know, but it, it's also, I didn't realize over that course of 10 years that w there were some materials that we had lost just through different circumstances, particularly the wood, the wood cladding that's necessary. So it wasn't until we were, you know, a third in that I was started to really have a crisis when I said, we're not going to have enough wood to finish this. And so um, my production assistant, engineer um, Abdullah, engineer Abdullah, I love that. He, <laughs> we said, let's go find some wood. So we we were lucky enough to find this um, bamboo material. And I'm really excited to work with the bamboo. It's a bamboo materials I know from going back to Jamaica. Um, and I'm glad to incorporate it with the original wood or the wood that I started with initially, which was hemlock. So I kind of like this hybrid that's happening. That's one thing. But it's also the other component is the, the boat that I mentioned before is now um, re being replaced by a dhow, which is the more traditional boats that are used in the region here. And so I had to sort of reconsider what, um, what the boat's relationship to the larger form, which is the fish trap, um, would be. And so the other, the other pro major shift is that I had these furniture elements. And the furniture elements I had um, sort of sanded down and I kind of wanted them to wear away. And I sanded them because I was thinking about this idea of, of, of something that might have washed up from the ocean, right? And so, so a certain amount of the, the detail and patina would be homogenized into another kind of surface. Um, and so that was, that was what, what I did to the furniture initially. And they were just piled in the middle of the form. In this iteration, I decided that the furniture elements were now going to be incorporated into the form, which is a, a kind of a radical shift for the piece and the interpretation of the piece. So I'm excited to see how how that um, plays out in the in the experiencing of it. Actually, the funny thing is that when you realize that you didn't have enough wood, you said you had a dream, and that reminded you of yeah. Well, I I kind of had this moment, this crisis of anxiety. I don't know if it was a dream as much as restlessness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that I I kind of woke up and said, there's not enough wood. I have to figure out what else is going to make up this the rest of the form. The thing about the work for me is that it's 
it isn't a fish trap. It's a threshold. It's a gateway. It's um, a portal more so because the, the fish trap is now the world, right? Like that's, that's kind of what it's sort of uh, speaking of. So the idea of entering, you're entering as not in terms of body, but in terms of your imagination. And then you're never going to be able to exit the same way again, that you can't exit or you can't exit being in the same form. And I, I think that was what I was really interested in, is like a kind of a metaphor of what happens with um, the expectation of, of change. You know, the change isn't necessarily a physical thing. It's more a kind of uh, psychic uh, or imaginative thing. And the work is on view at Kelba Ice Factory. It was originally built as a fish feed factory, um, but was never used for fish feed. But uh, fishermen used it to store ice. So it became locally known as the Kelba Ice Factory. So it's been really interesting when we've been talking about the the idea of this factory that didn't have a chiller or an ice space, but was called the Ice Factory and was um, a space to produce fish feed, but local fishermen didn't want to use this artificial fish feed. They just wanted to fish the way they usually do. Mm. So there's a lot of histories behind this uh, this building. So it'll be really great to to see how your work interacts with that. It's a kind of amazing, amazing open space. Um, initially, as when I walked into the space, it's very intimidating. And, and in fact, I I kind of wondered. I had that moment of like, oh shit, can I can this piece hold this space? Because it's it's. Uh, um, because it is it's a sense of volume. And I, I'm kind of, but now I'm really excited because I can feel that it's doing what I wanted to in terms of uh, how it holds the space, but also how it can become a kind of, it's a different kind of work. Are there any uh, interesting stories of your time in Kalba that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, yeah, there actually is one. I remember just as soon as I got out of the airport, the long drive from um, Dubai to uh, Kalba, it was rush hour. And I asked the driver, I said, just a quick conversation with the driver. I said, oh, I'm hitting rush hour. It was morning. And and he looked and he says, yes, um, they're all going to their duty. And I was like blown back by that word duty because I would never have heard that word used to, to ascribe to work in the in in New York or maybe even in the in um, the U.S. and so I was really for that I started to really think about what that meant like what duty meant and it's funny it brought me back to a piece I did early on um, my first show in New York City it was called um, it was it was actually called Happy Smilers Duty Free Shopping so the duty in that case is also ascribed to um, commerce in, you know, like, in that, it's like, it, it, I think maybe it's an English word, you know, for, for, um, not, not paying taxes or something like that. So I, I kind of got really excited about the play of this word from being about dedication and devotion to like, you know, um, merchandising, but it also made me think about what is my duty, you know, like what does duty mean to me and what would I consider work and what would I consider duty and I feel like art is a duty. I like this. I this is something I feel a dedication to. And and I think I was mentioning to you that I, I also teach in university. And I said, yeah, I guess my work is for work, my teaching, my involvement in academia is work. Um because it's something I kind of do. I love doing it, but it's not the main thing. I feel like duty somehow means that it's the 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 visionary dialogue that you're having for um 
for, for, you know, for what you want to leave for the world. Finally, I want to ask you about Okwi Enwezor, who conceived this edition of the Biennial and was someone you knew for many years. He also selected your work Landings for Documenta in 2002. I was wondering if you'd like to share something about your professional and personal relationship with Okwi or perhaps a memory. So I knew Okwi before he was a curator. I knew Okwi before when he was a poet, in fact. And he and I and um, I.K. Ude, um, another friend, another Nigerian, uh, he's actually an artist as well. We were thinking about having a, 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 a journal, some kind of art journal. I knew it was going to work because the entire four hours we sat in the cafe, we were thinking about just trying to grapple over the title of the thing, not even anything else, what it would be called. But we just love hanging out with each other. And then we kind of lost touch. And then um, and then Oakley kind of, his name kept coming up in these circles, primarily of photography, photo, photography curating. And um, and I think that was, then, then he, you know, he, he became Okui and Missouri, we know now. Uh, and he's, he's, I've always just felt, even back then, the poetic, the poetic start, he didn't start in the art, he started in the a kind of poetic space. And he kind of came through the side door, which is photography. So it gave him a whole different kind of place to navigate uh, historically um, the contemporary art world. And I thought that was really fascinating. But what what I think Okui as a wordsmith is really phenomenal at, um, and I always love hearing him talk, is he can say the things that that we kind of know, but the way he phrases it gives us a different relationship to that knowing. And I think that was always his his talent and even um, the vision that he, he's kind of left for, um, for generations. Thank you for sharing this with us, Neri, and thank you for your time and joining us on Biennial Bites. Great. Thank you, Or It was a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our conversation series. To view Neri's work online, click on the link in the show notes. To see the work in person, please visit Kalba Ice Factory, and I hope to see you there. For more of these chats with artists from around the world, subscribe to Sharjah Art Foundation's channel wherever you get your podcasts. For updates about the ongoing Sharjah Biennial, follow us on Instagram at Sharjah Art. <laughs>